Today's episode is brought to you by Sawyer Products. Sawyer Products is an American outdoor gear company with a mission to create simply better products. Since 1984, Sawyer's been producing high-quality products for sun protection, insect repellent, and water filtration. For backpacking or wilderness camping, I've used Sawyer's hollow fiber filters exclusively now for over 10 years. I recommend their Sawyer Squeeze, which was just featured in our latest gear review on water filtration. We're going to give one of these away later this week, so head on over to AdventureDeficit.com for the rules. And for more information on the Squeeze and other Sawyer products, visit www.sawyer.com, www.sawyer.com. Enjoy today's show. You know, you hear people say life's so short, and it is. You know, when those opportunities um, present themselves, you know, you got to do that. You got to do because nothing else really matters. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Adventure Deficit Show, where we're always on the lookout for new stories and the life lessons they might hold. Join me, your host, Drew DeVries, as we embark on today's journey to combat the deficit. Today we're with Bruce Matthews, Executive Director of the North Country Trail Association, headquartered here in Lowell, Michigan. Uh, Bruce is going to tell us a little bit about the North Country Trail. Uh, He's going to give us a little bit of background about himself, and uh, then he's going to share with us an exciting adventure story about uh, riding with his son on, uh, on motorcycles from Creed, Colorado to Brownsville, Texas, fishing all the way. Bruce, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Drew. It's great to be here, man. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, you're coming up on your last week of work with the North Country Trail Association, serving as its executive director, which you've been doing for the last 10 years. Tell us a little bit about uh, about that association. I, I know it's something that you've been passionate about. We'd love to hear about what you got going on over there. Oh, sure, Drew. You know, it's it's just I've, I've been blessed in my, my entire life, my my career, you know, having to do with... Uh, connecting people to the outdoors and, uh, you know, the North Country National Scenic Trails, one of 11 National Scenic Trails in the United States. Uh, the North Country Trail is the longest one by far. It's 4,600 miles long, goes from the middle of North Dakota over to the Vermont border in New York. The North Country Trail Association was formed in 1981 to basically be the group of volunteers, uh, the organization that supports the National Park Service in uh, building and maintaining and telling the story and protecting the North Country National Scenic Trail. Wow, that's that's fascinating. And forty six hundred miles. That's um, yeah, that puts you guys at the top because I know the the Appalachian Trail is is twenty seven hundred and eighty something like that, some, yeah. somewhere yeah. around there. Mm-hmm. And the Pacific uh, is somewhere similar, maybe somewhere similar. Yeah, and the Continental Divide is about thirty two hundred. So and that starts um, kind of in the Adirondack area, and then and then goes uh, through Ohio. Uh, up through Michigan, over across uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and into North Dakota, correct? We wander through the Adirondack Mountains, down through the Finger Lakes of New York, uh, uh, a little section about 320 miles of uh, Pennsylvania, the beautiful um, Allegheny Mountains, uh, down through Ohio, about 800-some miles in Ohio, uh, up through Michigan, 1,150 miles in Michigan. It's the longest uh, segment of trail in, in any of the states that we go through. 
uh, lower peninsula and then the upper peninsula. Um, gorgeous. There's some uh, places, uh, pictured rocks, for example, the Lake Superior shoreline. Uh, we hike along that. Uh, then, then through Wisconsin up into uh, uh, Minnesota. Uh, we uh, go up what we call the Arrowhead, which is the North Shore of Lake Superior on the Superior Hiking Trail, um, and then head west uh, on the Border Route Trail uh, over to North Dakota, and uh, the western terminus is at the Garrison Dam, which is where the dam that dams up uh, the Missouri River to form Lake Sakakawea at that point. So uh, it's a long hike. Yeah, um, and from what I've read, your number of through hikers is starting to grow, correct? We've begun to see more and more through hikers um, and, and long-distance hikers. Um, mm-hmm. There have actually only been about 14 people that have um, hiked the entire trail, and only about six of them have done it all at one time, okay. uh, end-to-end. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty hefty commitment. You know, a lot of people, there's a real through-hiking culture, for example, in the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail. I mean, they're right. real popular for that. And, of course, one of the reasons that you can, you can go south to north, you can sort of follow the season, uh, you know, you start in, uh, in March or April in Springer Mountain, Georgia, and then head north, and you can kind of follow the spring, so to speak. You've got some decent weather to hike in. Mm. In the North Country Trail, you're going east to west for 4,600 miles, and you're going to hit winter at least once. Yeah. And often twice. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's, uh, there's a hefty weather consideration there, even though the topography is not quite as dramatic as it is on the, in, in hiking a mountain range like you do on the AT. Um, you've got uh, more, it's more than made up for in terms of the climate kinds of differentials you see. Tell us, Bruce, a little bit about how you got involved with the North Country Trail. The job opened up uh, for the executive directorship for the North Country Trail Association, and it was just down the road from where I was living in Ada. And, uh, and I said, well, I can do this. And, um, and fortunately, the board agreed, and, and so the rest is, uh, I guess, history, at least for the last 10 years. But uh, so I got to work with people that, uh, you know, of a like mindset that, uh, you know, were, were committed to this simple foot trail, you know, hiking, uh, hiking footpath through the woods that uh, is sort of a legacy thing that um, they're putting their blood, sweat and tears in and they're doing it for free. Uh, they're volunteering. And uh, basically my job is to support them and uh, give them the, the resources and the uh, uh, the material and, uh, and, the, and the air cover, if you will, from a political perspective to uh, enable them to get the job done. So it's been great. Uh, what have been some of the, the biggest challenges um, that, you've, that you've had to overcome? Well, some of the biggest challenges, because we're a small nonprofit organization, funding is always an issue, you know, and, and there's a bit of a hand-to-mouth thing that goes on, you know, where you can't plan ahead as, as, uh, as you ought to, you know, as best practice would, would dictate that you should do. Um, because you don't always know that you're going to have the cash on hand to, you know, pay for your operations. Uh, and uh, it's not so much the case anymore, but in the early days, I mean, there were times when, you know, we were looking at, you know, can we meet payroll this week, you know, and uh, and so that's that's always a challenge. And that's, you know, not unique to us. Um, but um, uh, we've had political challenges, uh, you know, right now, for example, uh, we have a bill in Congress. Uh, actually, we've had that bill in Congress since before I started um, with the North Country Trail Association to uh, extend the North Country Trail's eastern terminus from Crown Point, New York, uh, over to connect with the Appalachian Trail in Vermont. It's only about 40 miles away. I mean, why wouldn't you connect with, you know, two of the great national scenic trails? Congress needs to authorize that, and it's kind of simple. It doesn't cost anything, uh, you know, but yet can we get Congress to move on it? Um, no, not yet. And it's always a challenge, uh, and it's always a great joy to manage volunteers. I mean, the folks that are out there on the trail, we've got thousands of people that volunteer every weekend, 
you know, to get out on the trail and they give blood, <laughs> literally sometimes, and yeah. certainly through insects and, and sure. they get muddy, they get tired, they get sweaty. And, uh, and they do it all for the trail, this notion of a simple foot trail connecting the northern tier of the United States. And, uh, uh, and, and they do it for free. It doesn't cost us anything. Um, and, uh, and we greatly support that. But you're dealing with people, and people sometimes have a, a different way of doing things. And so managing those relationships um, can be a challenge. What are some of the success stories that you've, uh, that you've been a part of? Well, I think uh, the the fact that um, there's about a thousand more miles of, of trail that's actually built uh, the North Country Trail in the last ten years. Um, I mean, that's huge. You know, you don't brand the northern the experience of living in the North Country like you do in the South, for example. Um, there isn't that same kind of a of a connection. Um, but we kind of call it the Red Plaid Nation up here. You know, and the you know, that, that special characteristic of being able to, you know, to survive in a hostile climate and a hostile environment, uh, eco living out of uh, a land that isn't always friendly to you. Um, sure. You know, there's something special about people that do that and, and are able to do that and that, that live there. And, and we call that uh, the Red Plaid Nation. And our trail kind of connects them and tells their story. Um, so that's just been really hugely gratifying to be able to be part of making that happen. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, the Red Plaid Nation. I like it. It, uh, it suggests we're uh, we're of a diff- we're cut from leather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Or at least plaid wool. I can I can <laughs> smell the wool and the gun oil already. There you go. That's cool. You know, one of the uh, cool projects that we uh, initiated last year in uh, in 2016 in conjunction with the 100th anniversary of the National Park Service was a program we called Hike 100, and it was a Hike 100 challenge where we challenged people to hike 100 miles on the North Country Trail. You could hike one mile 100 different times, or you could hike 100 separate miles. Uh, You could do it all in one fell swoop, or you could do a mile a day if you wanted to, and uh, it didn't really matter. But we gave people a patch and uh, a little recognition, you know, in terms of a certificate, and and we we tried to tell their stories on our uh, Facebook site and our Instagram site, and... uh, and that, of course, helped connect people as well as they shared their stories across the trail. Uh, uh, we had one, uh, uh, well, we had tons of, you know, really meaningful experiences. But this, this one, uh, one gal wrote to us um, and said that, you know, the Hike Hunter Challenge was really meaningful for her because, you know, she was kind of going through some recovery. Her son had committed suicide a mm. year before. And, uh, and she was just, you know, heading out into the woods trying to find some sense of solace and and, uh, and, and, and connection. And, and she, and she wrote about how, as she hiked, um, trying to do, you know, complete the hundred mile challenge, um, as she hiked, she kept seeing, you know, heart shapes in, in, in the woods, you know, whether it was a leaf or a, you know, a design in the, in a bark of a tree or a cloud shape, you know, she said, I just, I, it just, it just felt like he was communicating with me, you know, and she said it was because of the hundred mile challenge that, uh, the high country challenge that, uh, that she was able to, you know, kind of reconnect and find that, that healing place, you know, that she needed to be in. And there's dozens of stories like that, that, you know, that emerge from, you know, from the hike on her challenge. So, so it's, it's cool to be part of that. That is really cool. And I know you guys have, in addition to the hike a hundred challenge, you guys also have another uh, event, which is coming up here pretty quick in Marquette, right? We do. We do each year. Actually, we, we have um, an, an annual gathering of, of the faithful, if you will, uh, the North Country Trail Association celebration, uh, we call it, here in Marquette, uh, July 26th to the 30th. And uh, 
And we got folks from all along the trail. All of our chapters um, uh, have folks come in. Um, there's 300 some odd people that are registered right now. And uh, basically, it is a celebration of the trail. We go hiking on the trail. We learn about uh, what each other is doing, you know, what successful programs a chapter may be having in Minnesota that they share with one in New York. Uh, and uh, it's a great gathering. What do you got? You got some live events, some bands. You got good food. What uh, What's the scene look like up there? Paint us a little picture of, <laughs> of uh, the trail the trail days, so to speak, in uh, in Marquette. Well, it's probably no surprise, but there's a lot of hiking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people like to come to different places uh, along the trail for these celebrations in order to uh, to go hiking. Hike a new section of the trail, a new area. Um, and the Upper Peninsula's got some tremendous hiking. You know, there's some really wild stuff in the McCormick Wilderness. Um, there's some lakeshore stuff um, in the Marquette area or over in Lake Superior. Um, you guys go right through Picture Rocks, right? We do. Yeah, it's about 40-some miles to go through Picture Rocks. So so there's some some great hiking that goes on. Uh, and in the evening, there's recognitions. We have some awards events. Uh, uh, Senator Stabenow this year, uh, Michigan's uh, one of Michigan senators who's been a great champion of the trail. Um, she's got a, an award that um, she's being given by the association this year. And it basically, it's, again, it's just a celebration of who we are and, and, and the, the mission that we have that's it's bigger than all of us. Listeners who have never been up to uh, Lake Superior, um, on the northern side of the Upper Peninsula, the North Country Trail goes through an area called Pictured Rocks. If you've never been there, you need to experience it. Um, we're talking about limestone walls that are, that are 150 feet down to crystal clear, cold Lake Superior water, aquamarine, uh, views when the sun is hitting it just right, rock outcroppings that have, uh, have taken shape over thousands of years that you can paddle through for our warm blooded types. If, uh, if you want to brave the cold without a wet soup, Grab some fins, grab a snorkel, and go play around at Pictured Rocks. Um, the hikes are magnificent, obviously, um, right along the North Country Trail there where it turns uh, and heads west. You're going to get to experience some of, uh, some of Michigan's true beauty in its, uh, in its coolest form. So if someone were to be interested in either donating financially or giving of their time through volunteering on the trail, um, or just curious about uh, general overview, where would you send them? How do they find more information? The, the quickest way is just to go to northcountrytrail.org. It's sort of the hub that kind of connects you with um, information about the trail. And if you wanted to go to the celebration, um, whether this year or next year in Ohio, um, if, uh, if you want to donate or join, um, you know, it's all, all right there. Hey guys, we just want to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. Adventure Deficit is a passion-fueled dream, and we're so excited about sharing our upcoming lineup with you. Our work can't survive on passion alone, however, and our ongoing expenses require some significant financial contributions. If you like what you're hearing, we ask that you get involved. Here's what we're looking for from you, our listeners, and our readers. First, Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. This is very important. It might not seem like a big deal, but it is so important to ensure that we're positioned to address more sponsors down the road. Second, when you're finished listening to today's episode, head over to the Facebook page and give us a follow. Again, it helps us with sponsorships. Finally, please head over to the website, www.adventuredeficit.com. Read through all of our content. We've got all kinds of good stuff on there. When you're done checking everything out, click the support tab. Think about maybe buying a t-shirt either for yourself or for that adventurous person on your gift list. 
These beautiful combed cotton tees are by Bella and Canvas. They come in vintage black and the AD logo goes great. They're only 20 bucks and we charge $5 to ship them. Our cost in total is about half of that. Also under the support tab is a donate tab. If you're at all able to consider donating financially, we'd love to encourage you to do so. Our financial runway needs to be extended in order to continue providing quality content. We're so excited to do just that, we just need your help. Thanks again, Adventure Deficit community, for all that you do. We're glad to call you friends. Our hope is that by continuing to explore these stories and life lessons together, we can entertain, educate, and inspire everyone to get out there in pursuit of their own adventures and combat the deficit. Thanks again, and enjoy the rest of the show. Okay, let's get ready to combat the deficit. Today, Bruce has an awesome story to tell us of adventure. Um, as you know, the Adventure Deficit community is all about educating, entertaining, and inspiring you, our listeners, to get out there and embrace your own adventure. And whether that's paddling, packing, hiking, camping, shooting, climbing, whatever it is that you, that you do that gets you out there, um, you're going to find a story. And in that story, you're going to learn a life lesson. Bruce, tell us a little bit about the adventure story that you have for us today. Well, yeah, Drew, it was, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it's all about stories. The stories that you build as you connect with the outdoors, the stories you build with each other in the outdoors. Uh, in my case, in, in this particular situation, this particular adventure, uh, my son, who's uh, the digital media director for Field and Stream and Outdoor Life magazines, uh, as part of the staff uh, for the for those magazines, you know, he occasionally gets to go on these trips. And uh, one of the trips he'd been on uh, was uh, to Baja, California. Basically, he took uh, motorcycles and uh, and uh, rode the length of Baja and uh, did some fishing on the way. And uh, you know, from the the mountain trout that uh, you find down there, amazingly, and uh, out to the uh, the beachfront kind of stuff. Um, and it was a great story. And uh, and uh, and I was kind of envious, <laughs> you know, about about his experience. So anyway, we were talking uh, not long after that, and uh, we uh, uh, were talking on the phone, and and uh, and he was talking about his next idea, which basically was to take motorcycles and a, and a support vehicle, and and uh, and bike the entire way from uh, uh, the headwaters of uh, Rio Grande uh, up in. Uh, in Colorado, uh, along the Continental Divide, and, and go all the way down. It's about 2,400 miles uh, to where the Rio Grande empties into the Gulf of Mexico. And, uh, and he had the trip all set up. And uh, a good buddy of his, uh, actually the same guy that went on the Baja trip with him, you know, was going to go. And, and, uh, and, and he, was, he was all set up. But well, we were talking on the phone, and he was commiserating that his buddy had backed out at the last minute. And, uh, you know, this was in early September of 2010. And, and uh, you know, we, he was just kind of singing the blues about, you know, his buddy, you know, who was he going to get to go? And there was this pregnant pause on the phone. And he said, you wouldn't want to go with me, would you? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, heck yeah, you know, what yeah. a cool idea. What what fun that would be. And uh, and so next thing I knew, I was committed to, uh, to a two-week trip uh, on a motorcycle uh, I hadn't been on a motorcycle in 35 years, um, and the last time I'd been on a motorcycle, I crashed it. You know, so I figured I had some uh, some work to do to, <laughs> yeah. to, to get to the point where I could actually, you know, feel comfortable enough to ride on a motorcycle and uh, and do this trip. So 
Um, so I, I went and I took a local course, uh, you know, at the Harley Davidson, uh, you know, uh, dealership on motorcycle safety, uh, you know, okay. three day course. Uh, so the official course that they, they give for that in order for you to get your uh, motorcycle endorsement on your, on your license. And, and I did that and, and it was a great course and you learn a lot about, uh, you know, motorcycle, motorcycle safety and that sort of thing, but you don't go more than 20 miles an hour in the entire time, you know, you're there and, uh. Um, but nevertheless, I, I arrived a few weeks later in, in Colorado Springs and uh, headed uh, over to the uh, Kawasaki dealership where we picked up a brand a pair of brand new KLR 650 uh, dual sport motorcycles. Yeah, great bike. It was a it was a great bike. It was a terrific bike. I mean, they're they're uh, designed for you know road work and they're designed for off road and uh, and they were comfortable. Um, yeah, they were comfortable at least as comfortable as they could have been for for a, a novice you know, rider. Uh, who who had to take a few turns around the parking lot before I felt comfortable enough, you know, nosing out into traffic and and uh, and then going to uh, uh, head out on the road. So so anyway, we uh, the trip basically was to take the two motorcycles. Uh, we had a photographer with us uh, uh, who drove uh, uh, a, a Toyota Forerunner. Uh, we had that packed to the gills with camping equipment and fishing equipment and. And uh, a raft and a canoe on the top and uh, and uh, anyway, so the we started the caravan out uh, heading out of Colorado Springs into the evening over toward uh, South Park where we were going to spend the night uh, before heading up to Creed and back up into the Rio Grande National Forest and uh, and uh, and my son who was uh, significantly more comfortable on motorcycles, um, you know, starts taking off you know and I'm like I said hadn't been more than twenty miles an hour on these things <laughs> yeah. It's a scary feeling because there's no way to communicate to whoever's up ahead of you yeah. unless you've got, unless you, did you guys have headsets? Nope. Okay. Nope. nope. Yeah. So the only way that you're going to get up there to tell him that, uh, that you're, you're uncomfortable is to go 110. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. And, uh, going down into, into fair play there, mm. there's a lot of mule deer <laughs> and in the exactly. evening I, I can, I can feel your exactly. tension yep. as, as you, as you tell me that, especially if you haven't been on a bike in 40 years. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're zipping along, and I, you know, of course, I know there's wildlife out there waiting to come across that road, you know, and it's getting darker and darker, and finally pitch black, you know, and uh, and it was just one of those things you just kind of enveloped by the blackness, and uh, you know, going down the road, and you got the light and distant head tail lights ahead of me, and uh, and uh, but it was just kind of enveloped in this cocoon, and it, and it just got to a really cool place, you know, where I'm, you know, zipping along, and and basically say, I'm just praying that there's not going to be anything in the road that's going <laughs> to you know, jump out and uh, and uh, cause me to crash, and and I didn't, and uh, and it was it was really cool, was yeah, really cool after after a while, <laughs> yeah. Once once you kind of fall into your rhythm and, and yeah. settle in, yeah. uh, and and you can kind of feel that one with your machine, and and you start to smell the smells that uh, that you don't pick up when you're in a car, and you start to feel the wind in your face, and uh, there's uh, there's a point in time where you become one with that bike and it's unlike anything else. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about uh, about that first uh, couple of days. Where did you stop and and what uh, what did you get uh, get done as far as fishing? And uh, the game plan was to fish yeah. the entire length of the Rio Grande all the way to uh, Brownsville, Texas. Right. 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 Yeah. We were basically sampling the fishing and. Uh, and so here, this was in uh, in early October, um, and so gosh, the aspens out there were just glowing golden. It was just gorgeous. We had some beautiful weather. Um, uh, we we spent the night, that first night in South Park, and then uh, headed up toward Through Creed, actually up into the Rio Grande National Forest, and we camped the next couple of nights in uh, 
up to the, the spots where you can literally leap across the Rio Grande. Um, and uh, it's, believe it or not, it's a trout stream. Most people think of the Rio as this, you know, slow muddy, moving. You know, slow moving river. Yeah. But uh, it's a trout stream up there. Uh, unfortunately, the fishing was horrible. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or at least we were horrible fishermen. I don't know which was the, the case. One or the other, but we you didn't weren't catch, catching fish. You know, we weren't catching much. But, okay. Uh, but we, uh, but it was great water, and it was it was fun just you know being part. Of it. I mean, anytime you get into a trout stream and you get the rhythm of the cast and the rhythm of the water, and it's just you know, what could be finer? So we spent a couple of days doing that. Uh, woke up to frost, you know, in the morning, and uh, and uh, you know loaded up the motorcycles and started heading down, following the river, and uh, and uh, getting down into southern Colorado. Uh, saw some wild horses at one point. Uh, began to get into the desert environments across into New Mexico. Oh, that's neat. Got down into Taos Box Canyon, which is the next real uh, fishing stop. And we camped in the uh, uh, National Forest there and uh, uh, hiked down into the canyon, into the Box Canyon to go trout fishing there as well. And um, and again, the trout were small. We caught a few. Okay. <laughs> Nothing to big to you know shake a stick at, but it's still fun to be part of that. Uh, you know, mountain lion tracks. You know, walking in mountain lion tracks and then that sort of thing. So, um, and then we're heading down toward Taos, and uh, again, it's flat. It's a uh, desert. You know, kind of a thing. And we were found that we were right in the middle of the tarantula migration, which means that the the tarantula spiders, which are pretty reclusive, you know, in the, in the desert. But they were they were migrating, uh, and again, for some reason, a biologist could tell you more about what that reason would be. But whatever the reason, they were on the road, <laughs> and they were going across the road, and uh, and of course we're we're going you know not the we're going perpendicular to them, and and so you know you just you see these and you want to avoid them, but there's you know there's so many of them sometimes you just can't avoid them, especially going ninety miles an hour <laughs> a motorcycle and. And, uh, and you just have these visions of, you know, trenches jumping up onto your bike and onto your leg, and, and which never happened, but just, you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> you think about it. That's a mental hurdle. So, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. How did you, how did you know uh, it was a tarantula? I mean, the first, the first encounter was absolutely foreign, correct? Well, yeah, but I mean, it's a big hairy spider, and there isn't anything else on there that's, you know, quite that size and shape. I mean, you know, we're talking about, you know, a small salad plate size wow. you know critters so one night uh my, my son and uh and uh tim romano who's our photographer we're um we're all camped uh out in the desert and uh and they decided they were going to get up because the nighttime is the time when a lot of the, the the tarantulas and scorpions and you know were all active um and they were out you know with their headlamps and you know with sticks you know picking up a, a tarantula taking pictures of it and that sort of thing and and the two of them sounded just like little boys. The funniest thing to listen to these guys, you know, these grown men, you know, playing with the bugs, you know, in the desert. So, uh, so yeah, we got some good pictures. That's so cool. Yeah, we're going to have to post those up to the site. Okay, so then what? Where uh, where did your journey next take you after uh, Box Canyon and Taos and then tarantula migration? Well, you know, we headed, headed south of Albuquerque and uh, got down in the, in the Los Alamos area. Um, and, sure. uh, then we, and we paddled a couple of days there. We threw the canoe in, uh, arranged for the shuttle you oh, know, cool. to take place at the end and, uh, and, uh, paddled down through, uh, Los Alamos and, uh, and, and that, uh, that wild area of river down there, which, uh, some nice white water and, uh, you know, doable in a canoe, you know, probably nothing more than a class four, but, uh, but still, uh, doable in a canoe and, and we're fishing, uh, fish were, were, you know, we're out of trout water at that point. So we were looking for, 
you know, bass and in some cases catfish. Uh, but again, the fishing was terrible. <laughs> you know, the river was great, you know, but, uh, uh, but we camped uh, um, on Los Alamos and, uh, and just, uh, you know, you just kind of had this feeling there where, uh, you know, with the history uh, of the area with the, the mining and, and then, and, you know, the Native Americans, the early settlement, I mean, just you weren't alone, you know. Yeah. And you'd, you'd lay out there in, in, in that desert sky and watch that night sky and, oh, there is just nothing like a sky at night in the desert, you know. No. I mean, you talk about, you know, dark sky parks and that sort of thing up in northern Michigan, you know. There's nothing like being out in the desert and seeing the stars. Oh my goodness, it was amazing. What was your your background with uh, with water? I mean, you you grew up uh, playing in the uh, in the Northeast. You've been in a canoe. You've been on a river. But had you uh, had you done any uh, tandem work? Yeah, I've, I've got quite a bit of uh, of um, canoe work. Uh, Back in the day, I used to lead canoe trips to Adirondacks and to, to Canada and, and uh, um, actually raced whitewater kayaks, you know, back in the day. Oh, no way. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Give me a little bit of a um, breakdown of your take on New Mexico as a state. Had you been there before? You know, I had never been to New Mexico before. I've, I've been to every state in the Union except for New Mexico until that point. And so I was looking forward to it, you know, because I'd, I'd bagged all the other states, you know, and... and uh, and so it was, you know, looking for, you know, kind of preconceived notion about, you know, what New Mexico was like. Um, and uh, it, uh, you know, of course, has populations, you know, Albuquerque, Taos, uh, Las Cruces and some other places, you know. But uh, also has a little town called Truth or Consequences. <laughs> if you've ever been to New Mexico, Truth or Consequences, you got to go there. Yeah. Know? And uh, a lot of a lot of desolate, you know, desert kind of, um, you know, atmosphere. A lot of reservations um, and and, and uh, some poverty. That's yeah, it's pretty obvious, uh, you know, from the roadside. Yeah. So yeah. Awesome. Well, what came after uh, Las Cruces and uh, and Truth or Consequences? Well, I tell you, one of the, the scariest points um, on the trip was um, was going through Las Cruces and. Uh, uh, heading on, I think it was I-10. We were heading south toward El Paso and, and yeah. uh, uh, trying to get from one point to another. The, that was a, a big travel day for us. Uh, you know, we were hoping to actually get down to Big Bend National Park. Uh, so we had some more uh, canoeing to do down in those canyons. And uh, But uh, anyway, it was a construction zone just coming out of Las Cruces. Uh, all the traffic was slowing down. I think it was three lanes down to one lane. Um, and uh, as as all the traffic's narrowing down, of course, we're going about 60 miles an hour at that point. All of a sudden, my bike started being squirrely, you know. My front end is starting to shake, uh, and then the back end's starting to fishtail. And, and here at 60 miles an hour, I'm I'm going to die, you know. I'm literally, I'm going to die, <laughs> you know. That bike was just out of control. And uh, fortunately, I had the presence of mind to do what I was supposed to do, which is not use the brake and, you know, slow down and, and as best you could. But... Uh, but come to find out, my my rear tire got a flat, and uh, and it was uh, it was probably one of the scariest things I've ever experienced. Um, and uh, and I'll be honest with you, it was you know it was more than my hands on that bike uh, guiding me to a stop and and bringing me safely off the side of the road in that traffic. This is crazy. Okay, it so was. so you start off uh, as a novice, you go to uh, your local Harley store and do a three day um, training test and jump on a bike that you've never been on from there you're doing 90 miles an hour through fair play you wake up and do uh some fishing at the headwaters of the rio grande in uh in creed colorado from there 
you intercept the tarantula migration in Taos. <laughs> you jump in a canoe and do a day of whitewater paddling. From there, you go through Las Cruces and in, endure an oh my goodness moment where you're thinking uh, you're staring death straight in the face to learn that you've got a flat tire. How many days in are you at this point? Oh, I guess that was probably day nine, I think, nine or ten. Wow, that's fantastic. Yep. Okay, so uh, so what's the second part of the adventure look like? After after you got uh, the bike into El Paso, did they get you all taken care of? They did, got us back on the road, you know, and, and we actually made it down to Big Bend and uh, and set up, uh, we, were, we were a little late getting on the river. Uh, we were going to paddle the river down through Mirabel Canyon in uh, in Big Bend. And, uh, and oh my goodness, what an incredible, what an incredible scene. The river narrows down, uh, so it's a very narrow canyon. Uh, you're looking straight up, literally, to see light. Which at that point was really important because it was late in the evening and we were paddling in, in some fast moving water, including one section of, uh, of white water that, um, you know, we virtually did in the dark um, to get to the place where we wanted to camp that night. Um, and, uh, and it was, just, oh, what an amazing experience. It was great, you know. And then later, later that evening, we're actually fishing um, alongside the, and, and, you know, fishing along the riverbank like you, like you would do and casting plugs up against the bank, you know, hoping to get a bass or something. And, Got uh, got the plug caught um, in in a little brush pile, uh, which uh, y- you do that often <laughs> if you fish. You know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so uh, yep, you know, we've all been there. Paddle the canoe over and and uh, and go to stick my hand up in the brush pile to to get my plug. You know, and and, and something says, wait a minute. You know, and sure enough, there's a big old fat rattlesnake sitting right there underneath the brush pile. And uh, he wasn't real disturbed. I mean, I think the sand was kind of cool, and he was a little lethargic. So I'm not sure that it was a problem, but uh, probably would have been if I'd stuck my hand in his face. You oh, know? my word. When you were doing your uh, your night rides, did you uh, see him laying out across the road for heat? You know, we, we did. Uh, Nate and I had stopped. We were riding at night and stopped to look at a map. So we're, we pulled up, the, pulled the motorcycles up side by side, you know, and got a map that we're looking at. And, and uh, in, in the cones of, of light, you know, right in front of us, you know, that the, the motorcycle light was shining on the pavement, you know, out from underneath the bikes crawls this big old rattlesnake. You know, we'd stopped and been right near him. I don't know. I don't think we ran over him. I think we would have heard from him. But, uh, you know, he, he just he, he just crawled right out onto the road from right underneath our bikes. So I'll tell you the other one, though, the, the one that, that um, was a little spooky was uh, the, the one that when we're riding along, and Nate is, is typical. He's riding ahead of me. He's about a half a mile ahead, uh, maybe a little less than that. And and uh, I could see what looked like a you know, tire stretched across the middle of the road, you know. And and, uh, and as we got closer, um, you know, all of a sudden the tire reared up and struck at, at Nate, uh, who was going, you know, 70 miles an hour, and, and it missed Nate, but... In, in the meantime, here I am coming up on a thoroughly pissed off rattlesnake. No <laughs> you know, way. That was looking for something to shoot at, you know. No so, kidding. So that was something to see, yeah. So you actually witnessed this thing strike. Yeah. And and later I asked Nate, I said, did you see that? He said, he didn't even see the snake. He didn't even see it. But boy, oh boy, it, it saw him. But he was going so fast it missed. How how big? I mean, these are Western Diamondbacks. Yeah. Yeah. That snake had to have been six, eight feet. Well, not maybe eight feet. Six feet. Six feet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was stretched good ways across the road. That makes my skin crawl. That's one of the things that just gets me. Snakes. Yeah. I don't know what it is about them. I mm-hmm. I try and give them a healthy amount of respect yep. and space. But I ain't uh, do that. How, how far into Texas were you here? You know, we we uh, we, we got done with the the Big Bend uh, National Park and then headed down uh, along the river, uh, which uh, actually is you know because of all the 
water that gets drawn off is uh, smaller um, than it is up north. You know, there's less water volume, you know, in that section. So we got down through Terlingua um, and, uh, and then got down to the Falcon Reservoir, um, which is a, a dam on the Rio Grande that uh, dams up the, the river, you know, behind it. Uh, um, and, uh, and we got to Falcon Reservoir at uh, about a week uh, after um, the... Uh, the Hartleys um, were in that uh, uh, jet ski situation where I don't know if you remember this, but this oh, yeah. there's a man and a woman, a husband yeah, and a wife a that, that had uh, taken jet skis over to the Mexican side, and and he wound up getting shot, um, and uh, and and she wound up getting away, and they never recovered his body. I don't think. Um, certainly, they didn't then because this happened there. The Falcon Reservoir was just crawling with. Uh, you know, border patrol agents, uh, um, police. Uh, you know that were trying to figure out what was, you know, what was going on with this. Uh, now we stayed close to the American side, and uh, you know we were in a fairly fast boat, and uh, so I mean, we we you know chartered with a local guide, you know, to take us out, and uh, so but you know we kept an eye, you know, on the on the Mexican side, making sure nothing was heading our way. So when you say you were on the american side how does how does that work in a reservoir um how does a border go through a, a body of water and uh, and maintain um physical locale yeah yeah it's uh obviously it's it's kind of general but there's a set of buoys okay. um that um that pretty much delineate you know going roughly down the middle of the reservoir after falcon reservoir you've got uh, how many miles left you know i'm not sure it wasn't too, i think it was a couple more days yeah. after falcon uh, we headed down to brownsville and okay. then uh, that's when the river goes out into the salt uh and uh, it was great. It was, uh, you know, just a wonderful, you know, taking the motorcycles down the last few miles and getting out onto the beach. And here we are on sand again, you know. <laughs> so my motorcycle is squirrely on sand, you know. So anyway, but, you know, just getting there and just having spent that time and having those experiences together with my son, you know, it's just, uh, I mean, just nothing like it. Everything from, you know, campfires to, you know, road-weary map consultations, you know, to, to rattlesnakes. <laughs> yeah. And then that night we went shark fishing. And the deal is basically you take these these big rigs, these big uh, um, you know level wine reels and big big honking rods, and and you connect this uh, this bait to it. Um, you know, and the bait's bigger than most of the fish we caught in the entire, the entire trip. You know, and you um, attach the bait or connect the bait to a kayak, and you take the kayak and you and you spool the line as you're paddling out through the breakers. And you take the bait out there and, and, and drop it and bring the kayak back in and, and wait for the shark to pick up the bait, you know. And that way you get the bait out there, you know, pass again, pass the breakers, pass the uh, uh, the sandbar and stuff like that. Well, I tell you what, it was it was something watching my son, um, you know, get in his kayak and head out through the breakers. It's dark now, by now. And so you're, you got a flashlight shining on it through the breakers, having this, this honking bloody bait on the back. Back into the kayak, you know, crashing through the breakers and, and thinking, hmm, you know, that's not exactly where I'd want to be with a bunch of sharks, you know, with a bloody bait on the back end of your, your kayak anyway. But, uh, but yeah, we caught some sharks, um, probably the biggest is maybe five feet, you know. Wow. So part two of the trip, we're talking about uh, a little bit more trout fishing. We're talking about more kayaking. We've got uh, a close encounter with a rattlesnake that's pissed off on the highway. We've got... Uh, a run-in with uh, a reservoir that's teeming with U.S. agents from the Border Patrol uh, due to some uh, recent activity between uh, potentially the Mexican drug cartel. Yeah. 
and then you've got you've got some shark fishing that's going on with uh, with ocean kayaking as well. You're dropping bait with uh, with one man vessels. It was it was great, and, and then the the topper was the next day. It was the last day there. We we went uh, sight fishing for redfish in Matamoros Bay, you know, and uh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. How, how many redfish did you guys get oh, into? Do you gosh, I don't know. It, it, that many? Yeah. What an adventure. How'd the, the trip end? You dropped the bikes off at another dealership? We did. We went to the Brownsville dealership, uh, the Kawasaki dealership there. And, you know, after two weeks with the bikes, uh, in, including a number of uh, spills on my part, um, you know, the bikes showed showed a little bit of wear. Um, and uh, But we'd, we'd gotten used to them. They'd, they'd been our horses for the, the past two weeks. And... Uh, and as as we dropped the bikes off and we kind of walked away from the shed, you know, leaving the bikes in the shed, you know, Nate, my, my son, looked at me and he said, you know, I kind of feel like I just shot my horse. <laughs> That's such a fantastic adventure. I don't even know uh, what what to call the highlight, but we're going to sift through uh, and, and try and figure that out here in a short moment. Bruce, you and your son set out on a two-week adventure to take motorcycles from Colorado to Texas, following the Rio Grande and catching fish. The fishing wasn't all that great, but I got to believe you took something else from that that adventure. You know, I got this great honking scar on my shin from uh, one motorcycle spill. <laughs> it stayed with me from well, but uh, to answer your question. Um, you know, probably the, you know, the opportunity. And again, the, the way this, this whole trip came about, you know, to spend this time with my son, you know, um, it just doesn't happen. You know, this day and age, you know, we are, we're going hither and yon, full speed, you know, different directions. Um, you know, he lives in on Long Island, works in New York City, you know, I live in Michigan. Um, you know, we, we get together and, you know, fairly frequently, but we, not this kind of together, you know, not, two weeks on the road together, um, you know, not two weeks fishing together. Um, and, uh, and so it was just a huge blessing. And, and, and the takeaway is, uh, you know, to never take those opportunities for granted. Not that, you know, you're going to get an opportunity every year to go on a big trip like that, but you never take for granted the opportunities you have to build stories, you know, with the people that matter in your lives. You know, it would have been easy for me to say, no, I was busy. I had plenty of things to do at work. Uh, stuff was cranking and that sort of thing. But what could be more important than being invited and spending that time, you know, with my son? Um, boy, oh boy. What was one thing that you learned about your son, Nate, that you uh, hadn't known prior to this trip? You know, I, I guess I, I hadn't realized that he was um, uh, such a daredevil on a motorcycle. <laughs> You know, there were there were some, you know, not only just the speed on the highway, which uh, inevitably was way over the speed limit, but uh, but just you know the curves and the back roads, um, you know, going up and down, uh, you know, some of the the mountain passes uh, that that we went uh, that we went on, and and uh, you know, I'm just I'm creeping around these curves, looking over the edge, you know, and he's zipping around them, and not only that, he's got a GoPro strapped to his helmet, you know, that he's you know, make sure he gets a video of all of it. Uh, you know, I hadn't seen that side of him before. What was uh, something that you learned uh, about yourself? There's a couple of things really that come to mind. You know, one is, is um, you know, I, I can I, I, I can handle new experiences. I'm, I'm not afraid to try something new. Um, 
And, uh, and there was a lot of new about this, you know, particularly with the motorcycle riding. Um, but, uh, uh, but also, um, there's a, uh, an important element in my life that, you know, is, is, uh, you know, it has to do with my relationship with God and my faith. And, you know, as, as a guy, typically, you know, I kind of keep that in a separate box. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's hard sometimes to integrate, um, my relationship with God on a daily basis, you know, um, cause I figure, you know, I'm a guy, I can handle it, you know, and, hmm. And I can't. Um, I really think that, you know, we're here to be in a relationship with, you know, with God. And and so inviting God into your daily, you know, life is, is not easy for me. Um, because, again, as a guy, you know, I'm successful. I do what I do and I do it because I'm good. Well, <laughs> you know, um, there's a point at which there's a little wake-up call that happens. And uh, flat tire on a bike at, at 60 miles an hour when you're pretty much a novice in that thing. I mean, that's totally uh, out of uh, the realm of possibility in terms of how I had the ability to handle that. I had no idea what to do. And, uh, you know, my creator was right there with me riding that bike, you know, and, and so it was just a wake up call in that sense. Not only, um, you know, is, is, is God always with me, but I can always be, um, reaching out, you know, to him for, for that confidence in, in meeting whatever circumstance. And that, that's a segue into my next question, which is what was the most amazing piece of the natural world that you were exposed to? Well, you know, I have always loved trout, and in my mind, there is no finer expression of the joy our Creator feels in the creation than, you know, the colors of a trout. And even though the trout's little, <laughs> and, you know, it's certainly a challenge to catch one at the bottom of Taos Box Canyon, for example. Um, but the, seeing the size of that, you know, with that trial, I don't care where I am. You know, whenever I see that, it's it's God laughing out loud right there. Probably a close second with those Aspen hillsides in the Colorado mountains. Oh, my gosh. You know, the and, and then knowing that, you know, that's basically one genome, one, in effect, one tree. You know, that's a whole mountainside that's really one genome for a, an Aspen tree. Um, and, and just the, you know, how did that come about, you know, and mm. is, uh, it's just really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Lightning round. What gear did you take with you that you would consider to be uh, non-negotiables? Well, on a motorcycle, you're dealing with, you know, your helmet is non-negotiable um, and, the, and the body armor that we, we wore, um, mostly on the, the jacket up top, wore that all the time, even in, in the heat. Um, you know, the, the padded shoulders, the, you know, the, the Kevlar, uh, um, you know, jacket kind of a thing, uh, you know, is... Yeah, that's safety stuff. You know, you just don't mess with that. You don't take chances with that. I really enjoyed being in a tent, um, particularly in the desert scorpion um, area where, you know, scorpions are known for crawling inside your sleeping bag or your, yeah. your boots or whatever. I didn't really care to do that. You don't um, need one of those under no, your pillow. No, no, no. So, yeah, we we use Kelty Gunnison tents. Yeah. Easy to set up, easy to take down, um, easy to shake the scorpions out of. Nice. Were you, did you find some scorpions out there? Quickly? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's not a, yeah. that's an uneasy feeling right. knowing that you were sleeping right next to them. Yeah. But the yeah. tent kept you. But the tents, you know, it's a barrier. Sure. Yeah. And so, yeah. Sure. What were you guys doing for food restaurants or were you camping out in the desert and fixing food? We, um, we had restaurants. We did, we had some, found some great restaurants along the way because we were, you know, back roads most of the way, you know, and, uh, and so we found some great little cafes, some places, you know, it's, it's all in Spanish, you know, 
I had some great food, um, some hot food. <laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, but when when uh, when we were out there uh, on our own, you know, we 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 try to supply locally. I mean, one great story. I, I think we were in New Mexico at the time, uh, coming off the exit to uh, exit ramp. There was a guy with a truck that had, that was covered in red peppers, red chili peppers, uh, and uh, and uh, we, uh, <laughs> and they're they're strung, you know, and they're probably a hundred in you know a hundred peppers in a string. And and we said how much for one, you know? And, and he thought we were talking about one whole string that we carry with. No, it's one pepper. You know, we're going to use it for dinner. What kind of bikes were you on again? We we rode the Kawasaki KLR six hundred and fifty dual sports. What's your overall takeaway and Nate's overall takeaway on that? You know, we were looking for a machine that you know was going to be comfortable on the road because we knew we had the extensive uh, segments, you know, road time, including some interstate road time. Uh, but we also knew we had to be, you know, able to negotiate the backcountry with it um, and do totally off-road stuff. Um, and so, you know, as a dual sport, it it, uh, it it was designed to do both functions, and it did. Um, even at high speeds um, on the road, it was comfortable. Um, you know, felt protected. You felt uh, you felt comfortable with it, um, and um, and it was you know down on those low gear, you know. Navigating the gully washes and the you know and the sand pits and stuff like that, it was you know it was fine. So, you know, uh, and we had some crosswinds. Some of those uh, oil trucks down in Texas, my goodness, they blew past them. We were going eighty miles an hour, and then the trucks passing us. So, so you can imagine the draft on those trucks at eighty miles an hour on a relatively light bike. Um, you know, you knew you were, you got buffeted a little bit. So, you know, it wasn't a heavy Harley, but it was uh, it you know it wasn't noticeably unsafe. It's. A challenge to find that medium between uh, roadworthy at highway speeds and uh, nimble enough to handle, you know, gully washes and mm-hmm. and, and low gear, um, yep. low gear type of uh, of terrain that would require you to have long travel for suspension or knobby tires. And and I think the KLRs sounds like it was a pretty good mix of the two. Sure, sure worked for us. Cool. Yeah. If you could do this entire thirteen day trip. Uh, again, what would you include this time that you didn't have with you last time? Yeah, we had most everything we needed. We had, uh, you know, I mean, water is obviously the thing you, you know, most can need to be most concerned with and in, in dealing with the desert kind of a thing. And you know, we tried to be careful to hydrate as much as we could. And, um, you know, we had some great hydration equipment with us. We had a camelback that we, we wore, uh, with, the um, with the Gregory pack in, uh, with the camelback in it and, and, um, and it, uh, it worked fine. From what I gather, your lasting impression or the overall life lesson that we can take as a community from your adventure would be something to the tune of carve out that special time mm. or take the time that you know is going to cost you one way or another we're all busy we mm-hmm. all have we all have schedules to keep we yeah. all have to say no to something in order to say yes to something else yeah speak to that a little bit there's all kinds of examples around us and you know you hear people say life's so short and it is and you never know you know what's coming around the bend uh you know and and you know when the opportunities uh, particularly um when they have to do with relationships with them because that's that's what matters most in this life our relationship with with our father our god and, and a relationship with uh you know, with our family and, uh, you know, when those opportunities, um, present themselves, um, or more importantly, when you can create those opportunities, uh, you know, you got to do that. You got to do, cause nothing else really matters. Some wise words from a fellow adventurer. Thanks, Bruce. Let's take a quick minute to, uh, 
to get the listeners plugged into any of your ongoing projects, um, you're going to retire here in a week. Yep. Um, and you've certainly got to have some things that you're looking forward to. Um, and, and, um, we always like to try and, and give, um, our guests an opportunity to tell us a little bit about what they've got, uh, in, in their personal lives as well. So is there anything that, uh, that keeps you busy that you want to tell us about? Well, yeah, I would, I'm, I'm really looking forward to retiring. I think uh, the North Country Trail Association is going to be in great shape uh, under its uh, new leadership, the new executive director, um, you know, so I feel good about leaving the organization, again, in good shape. Uh, uh, so that's a, that's a big, you know, <laughs> and uh, you can move on into the sunset. Only for me, the sunset isn't a sunset. It's, uh, you know, it, it's a sunrise in a lot of ways. Um, you know, re- retirement, I think, is a misnomer. Um, you know, you really... Uh, you're moving on to something else. And, the, and for me, the something else involves typically, uh, you know, a series of projects uh, having to do with writing. Um, you know, I've got some writing ideas, some things that I want to uh, get out there with uh, in terms of writing some books. Um, I play music. I've got a band, the Bruce Matthews Band. Uh, we've got a CD out and another one coming. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I don't have any great illusions about uh, being the next rock star. Uh, in fact, I don't want to be the <laughs> next rock star, but I do, you know, think there's a message in that music that I'd love to have uh, an opportunity to promote and market a little bit more and, and, uh, and, and help, uh, help share that with others. So, um, so those are the biggest things on the horizon. Um, but, uh, but probably none bigger than, uh, again, spending more time with my family, my grandkids, uh, taking them fishing, taking them hiking and uh, backpacking and, and taking them hunting. Um, you know, these are all things that I'm really looking forward to spend a lot more time doing. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. Where can we find more info about your music? If, uh, if you can, you can uh, Google Bruce Matthews Band or Bruce Matthews Music. Um, there's a Reverb Nation site. If you go to ReverbNation.com uh, and plug in Bruce Matthews, uh, you know you'll you'll get uh, you can download my stuff from there, and you can listen to it, uh, learn more about what we're doing. Well, Adventure Deficit, uh, it's certainly been a pleasure for today's show notes. Head over to the website uh, www.adventuredeficit.com. Uh, where we'll be posting some uh, some photos that uh, came from this this beautiful excursion. Um, we'll also have uh, a few things to uh, to relay as far as gear reviews go. Uh, do a little write up on on maybe the motorcycles or some of the gear that uh, Bruce and his son Nate used. We would love to have uh, your input and your participation for the show. Head over to iTunes, search Adventure Deficit. Go ahead and subscribe and uh, give us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Thanks so much for your time, Bruce. It sure was a pleasure. We appreciate you sharing your adventure story with us. Thanks, Drew. It's great to be here. Good sharing time with you. Cheers. Cheers.